You're listening to Blackpool Church Podcast. Join us for our Sunday gatherings to make friends, explore faith and encounter God. Visit our website, blackpool.church. This is the Talk Archive. First, before I jump into what I want to talk about properly today, I just wanted to say thank you to um, everybody who has been involved in all of our stuff over Christmas. And um, yeah, absolutely. Just want to say thank you. Um, I, had a, I had a little look on our spreadsheets and I think we had something like 540 people at Christmas services and events over the period, which is absolutely amazing. I know loads of you invited friends and families to different things, and I want to say a massive thank you to you if you did that to support us. I also want to say a massive thank you to everybody who was involved in Love Christmas. I was off on paternity leave having a nice time. Um, Again, I've just, I heard this morning that we, as a church and um, with friends at Beacon, we were able to give away just over 3,000 gifts to um, people through Love Christmas, which is incredible. Um, I was thinking there are about 147,000 people in Blackpool, so I think that means it's about 2% two, 2 of people in Blackpool, something like that, would have got a gift from us, which I think is incredible. Um, yeah, absolutely. There were gifts to women's refuges, to primary schools, to homeless shelter, all sorts of different places. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody who was involved in those things. Um, we love you guys a lot, and it's really great to be back. Um, this morning, I wanted to preach a little message about how we make the most of the year to come and looking ahead at 2024. And the topic that I've given this talk is what to do with 5,000 hours. What to do with 5,000 hours. Uh, let me read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything and every season and, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Just keeping my eye on you. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. In our church, there are lots of different things that I get made fun of, of by our staff team. And uh, one of the ones that I occasionally am made fun of for is sending voice notes. Now, I love a voice note. Don't know if you guys do these on, uh, on WhatsApp, on your phone. You don't have to just text people if you can't be bothered. Instead, you can just slide that little send button up start talking for as long as you want. And then when you press send, the other person is going to have to listen to that. I love voice notes. I love sending them, basically. Um, and the reason I love sending them is because they're really convenient. 
I can be sort of wandering around, like, you know, maybe walking to work or something. Something will pop into my head. I don't have to think about how I'm going to curate that into a sensible, readable message. I can just sort of unleash, and uh, the person at the end is going to have to decipher that into something usable. I love sending them. Uh, but I do not love receiving voice notes, right? Okay, because of the opposite reason, right? They're very, very convenient to send, but a message that you could have read in just a few seconds, you're now going to have to listen to for minute after minute while the person just rambles on, not having a clue where they're ending, and eventually I'll have to then filter that into something useful. I won't be able to search back for it later or anything like that. It's going to be very, very inconvenient. I love them and I hate them because time, I think, is really precious to me at least. Time is really precious, really precious. Of all the resources that people are given, other than the power of the Holy Spirit, I think time might be your most precious resource. You can make all sorts of other things that you've been given. In theory, you could make more friends, you could make more connections, you could make more stuff, you could make more meals or, or money, uh, but you wouldn't be able to make any more time. Each day, you're going to be given 24 hours, Everybody is going to be given the same. It is, well, about 11.44, well, it's 11.44 according to that clock. And that means in 2024, you have 8,628 hours and 16 minutes left of this year. I worked out that by the time you've slept and had a shower and eaten and brushed your teeth and things like that, you're going to have about 5,000 left. And so the question I want us to think about today is, what should we do with our 5,000 hours? What could we do with 5,000 hours? And I'm going to look at just a few different Christian biblical principles for how we use our time well. And we can use it as an opportunity to commit the rest of this year, I mean, it's totally arbitrary, isn't it? But the rest of this year to the Lord and say, would you use it? And would you help us to use it wisely as well? Knowing that in all likelihood, at least for me, 4,995 of those hours might not be used wisely, right? But maybe, maybe if I'm careful, five or 50 or even 500 of those hours could be used really wisely to help establish God's kingdom. That's what I want to talk about. So I've got five different little principles, I guess, from the Bible about time that we can think about. And um, so if you want to take notes or something, uh, you can write one to five. The first point is time is in God's hands. Time is in God's hands. Just after that passage that I read before, the writer in Ecclesiastes goes on and he says this, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people fear him. And Jesus, uh, uh, Peter, sorry, one of, G one of Jesus' friends, he said this, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. God's perspective is absolutely massive when it comes to time. And all the time that we experience sits in his hands. So if you think about Peter's example, he says that a thousand years of our experience, they're like a day for God. So God's perspective, I guess, is at least 365,000 times bigger than ours. If we're to look at our year ahead 
our 5,000 hours. To God, that's like 49 seconds, which is not very long, is it? Because his perspective is so massive. I recently found out that the oldest star that anyone's found so far is 14 billion years old. I thought, that seems quite old. I wonder what that would be like if we were to put it on a timeline. Where would our year be? Our 5,000 hours, where would they fit on the timeline? I worked out that if our 5,000 hours, if it was just a millimeter, so just like the tip of a pencil on a timeline, and then we started going back, how far away would the star be, the 14 billion years? It turned out it was like 8,600 miles that way. That's how big God's perspective is and how small our time is in comparison to him. And I think that raises two thoughts for me at least. The first is that it's quite scary. The writer says that God shows people this so that they'd fear him. And it's right to fear God actually. Not because he's unkind or cruel, but because he's powerful, incredibly powerful. He's massive and he has an enormous perspective and so we shouldn't take him lightly or for granted. It's quite scary to think about how small our little bit of time might be. But it's also, I think, quite comforting in a way. Because the year doesn't feel so daunting if we know that it's held by a good and gracious God who's managed to hold eight 1,600 miles worth of timeline, I think you'll be okay with the millimeter. And so we can trust him with it. That's the first thing. Time is in God's hands. Second thing I notice in the Bible is that time has a purpose. Time has a purpose. The passage I read said, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So everything you can think of, everything you might be interested in doing, any good outcome or activity that you might have planned, all of those things, they can't just be done whenever. Or at least if you do them whenever, they won't have the best outcome. Instead, there are times allotted for each of those things. A time for every activity. Let me put it like this. I've got my watch, so I know what time it is. There's a little time on the screen here that goes red if I talk for too long. And there's a clock at home, a clock in lots of different rooms at home. And so I know what time it is. But the question, I guess, is like, do I know what time it is in my life? Do I know what this season, this moment is for that God has prepared for me? One of the interesting things I notice in the passage is that um, lots of different things are sort of compared and contrasted together. So there's a time to build, but there's also a time to tear down. There's a time to love, and there's a time to hate. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to uproot. Why might that be? Well, I think, I mean, I'm not a good gardener, right? But what I do know is that if you want to plant a really great garden, the key is that you plant the plants at the right time. You can't just plant them whenever. If you just keep on going around planting more and more plants, lots of them will die that's going to spoil your garden. And so instead what you need to do is recognize the moments for uprooting dead plants and the moments for planting new ones. I guess you could say that the, the right thing done at the wrong time is often just the wrong thing. 
So, for instance, proposing on a first date is a really terrible idea, isn't it? In general, I don't know if, apologies if, you know, there's a happily married couple here or something, but, you know, it's a bad idea. Uh, but not because proposing is a bad thing, but because the first date is a bad time. Or investing in a failing company is a really bad idea. Not because investing is a bad thing, but because the failing company is the wrong time to do it. I recently got a, I went to the dump and I got a baseball bat. I know you're supposed to get rid of stuff at the dump, but I saw someone getting rid of it. I just couldn't help myself. So I asked them for their baseball bat. And I love it. Um, right, and I've been sort of practicing my swing. You can have the best swing in the world in baseball. But the key is not the swing, it's the timing. You, know, you have to wait for the ball to come at exactly the right moment. If you're swinging that thing in the petrol station on the way to the game, you're going to be arrested and, and locked up somewhere. Right? You have to wait patiently for the exact moment that the pitcher throws the ball. There is a time for everything, and timing is very important, it seems, to the writer. And that raises two questions for me. Firstly, is there something that's for now? Like we're in a time, and it seems like there's a time for everything. So, so what about now? Is there something for now, for you, or for me, or for us? And secondly, of all the things that I'm hoping I'll do, when is their time? I don't want to just do them randomly. When are they supposed to be done? And to answer both of those questions, what we really need is discernment. We need to be willing to listen to the Lord and follow his guidance. To be patient, waiting for the right time for different things. And also ready. In Galatians 5, Paul says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And there's a prayer that I've been trying to pray uh, over the last couple of months. And I recommend it to you, just saying each morning, God, help me to walk in step with you today. I found it really great, really encouraging prayer. It's not, God, help me to go as fast as I can today. Or help me to get as far as I possibly can today. It's help me to be in step with you. Judging the pace that you're going at. If you're going fast, help me to keep up. If you're going slow, help me to rest in that. Help me to spot that like, if, if, this is, if, it, if today is a day for forgiveness, then I know it's a fast one. I need to be fast to forgive. If it's a day for apologizing, it's a fast one. I know I need to be fast to apologize. But if I'm angry, God, help me to be slow. Help me to walk in step with you, basically. If we want to use our 5,000 hours well, we're going to need to learn discernment. That's my second thought. Uh, but time doesn't just need discernment. It also needs management, I think. It needs management. Uh, so Paul says in Ephesians, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. It's hard to do that because unwise people think they're wise in general. But he says, try and do it. You know, be wise. And then he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And in my experience, I think there are two different kinds of evil days. There are the evil days that have way too much in them. We are charging around constantly trying to get everything done. And you have to, you have to like ask people when you can go to the toilet or something because it's too full. 
That's a, they're not good. They're evil ones. There are also the other days, the other evil ones, are the ones where there's nothing. Just nothing. Just total absence. And those days, they seem like they're going to be really good, but they're not as good as they seem. Get to the end of them, you think, well, what was all that about? That's my experience anyway. And I think often people find it difficult to make the most of their time for those two reasons. Some of us find it hard to make the most of our time because there's too little time. There's too much stuff going on and there's too little time. And the little bit that we have, we're just kind of catching breaths. We never get to plan it, never get to think about it particularly. We're just charging around. And the others of us, we find it hard to make the most of our time because there's too much of it. Sort of waiting for the next thing on our radar. And bored and not knowing how to use our time. I doubt there are many of us who think every day I just I'm in the right place at the right time, consistently using my time well. And it's interesting, that passage I read from Paul, he says, um, where he says, Be careful and make the most of your time. The the sort of language he's using is that it's the word redeem. And the illustration is going to a marketplace and buying something that you wouldn't have normally been able to have. It might have been lost to you. And so what he's saying to us is, look at your time, look at the time that you have, the days that you have, and spend your time in the way you might go shopping well. So if you go to a shop, a market or something, I don't tend to go to markets, but if I did, I'd, I'd probably make a list. And I'd think, how much money do I have? And what, do, what am I gonna really value buying? And then off I go, and I make sure that I buy the things that I'm going to value. Paul says that's how we should use our time. And so today, I'm basically letting you know you've got 5,000 to spend. What are you going to value? Are you going to maybe write yourself a list? Make sure that somehow you know that you're going to spend your time on the things that you should spend them on. For me, uh, one of the ways I found really helpful to do this is I have a little time budget and I, I do my income. It's a spreadsheet. It's, it's lame, but it helps. Have a little spreadsheet. It's a budget. It's like, what's my income? Oh, it's 40 hours a week, blah, blah, blah. Right? And then uh, what's my expenditure? I put in all my different things. I've got a meeting with this person and I go into this and then I make sure, you know, whatever. And I write them all in. And then I have a look and it color codes it for me and it says, are you spending your time, Andy, on the things you value or stuff you don't value? I highly recommend thinking carefully about managing your time well to make sure it lines up with your values. So if you say prayer is really important, I really value prayer, does that reflect, is that reflected in the amount of time you spend on it? If studying the scriptures, learning from God's word is really important, this year in our 5,000 hours, are we going to spend big on it? or hold back, are our family important, or living a healthy life, or whatever it might be to you, what, what are you valuing? And spend big on the things that you value. Fourth thought on time is that time goes in seasons and cycles. In that chapter from Ecclesiastes, the guy says, whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before. I'll read that again because it's a bit confusing. It says, whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, has been before. 
And the writer's saying that there's a cycle to life and time. Generations tend to make the mistakes of previous generations before them. Things will come round again and again. It's a little bit like a calendar with seasons. You don't get two summers in a row. But that's not because summer's never coming back. It's coming back, but just not for another three. And so the challenge for each of us is to learn the lessons of the past. And so one of the questions I guess I'd want to ask you is, as you look back at 2023, what lessons is God giving you? Because they might be useful in 2024. No one, um, oh, Jesus once said, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the times. He's talking about how people look at the weather and they see that the sky's red and then they figure out, you know, shepherd's pie or whatever it is. Um, he's, he's talking about that, basically. And he says, you understand the weather because you've seen it happen before. And so you know what's going to happen again. Jesus says that we can do something similar in our lives. We can recognize the mistakes of last year to learn into the next year. But the temptation when we see that time goes in cycles is to get complacent, to think we'll get another crack and another go and another go and another go. But the last thing, the, the fifth point I've, I've read in the scriptures this week is that time won't go on forever. It doesn't go on forever. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this really challenging story and I'll tell it to you. In the story, there's a wedding really exciting and um, there are 10 maids of honor or bridesmaids effectively dead excited for the bride and the groom to turn up and uh, the bride and the groom they're off somewhere else I guess they're having their photos taken or signing the register or something like that and so these bridesmaids they're waiting in anticipation for when are they going to turn up and then we're all going to go into the reception it's going to be really exciting but they take ages. Bride and groom are taking ages. We've all been to that wedding, right? And so they're sat outside, they're sat outside, it starts to get dark. Think. Then they fall asleep. It's taken that long, they all fall asleep. And then suddenly someone shouts, they say, the, the, bride, the bridegroom's here, the, the wedding party, they're here, wake up. And they don't mean they're here, they're obviously in the distance because when they wake up, what they realize is five of them were really wise. And they'd brought these lamps with oil in them so they can see what they're doing. Now it's got dark. They thought, maybe this will take a long time and I could do with a lamp, so they brought that. But five, they were foolish. They, they didn't bring enough oil, so they don't have their lamps. And so the foolish ones, they say to the wise, can we have some of your oil? Our lamps, they're going to go out. We can't see what we're doing. Can we have some of your oil? And they say, no. No, you can't have it. Maybe if we share it across all the 10, it's going to go out before they get here. None of us will have lamps. You're going to need to go and buy your own oil. And so, that's not ideal. They're coming. Right, off they go. They charge off to go and buy the oil. But what happens? Right, the, the bride and the groom, they turn up. They arrive with the five wise ones. They go into the reception. The door gets locked because it's late at night. The five foolish ones come back got their lamps now they don't need them it's too late so they bang on the door can we come in no we weren't expecting anybody this late I don't know who you guys are the door's locked it's a challenging story and the moral of the story is nobody knows God's timing 
He will do things when he wants to. And ultimately, he will return. Jesus will return when he wants to. And the only thing you can know about that timing is that you're not going to expect it. It's going to be unexpected when he returns. I was thinking about 2024. I was thinking, am I expecting Jesus to return in 2024? And I decided I'm not. But that means it might be one of the years, right? He's going to come when I'm not expecting it. So I just wanted to let you know. I think we should operate this year as though it might be a year when Jesus returns. We should be ready. We don't know God's timing. And that passage I read, it ends by saying, God will call the past to account. When Jesus returns, he will put the world to right. He will judge. He'll call the past to account, and that'll include all of us. And so our time, the time that we've used and how we decide to spend our next 5,000 hours, that'll be judged, it'll be called to account by Jesus. And for some of that time, we'll say, Lord, I'm so sorry, we got it wrong. And because he's gracious and forgiving, he'll have mercy. But I hope for many, many, many of those 5,000 hours, we'll say, thank you, Lord, that you showed us how to use them. And he'll say, well done, you used them so well. And so at the start of 2024, I thought we'd just take a moment, we're gonna pray in a second. We're going to offer collectively to God our 5,000 hours and ask for his blessing on them. And my prayer for you is, would you use them wisely? There were a few different ways you can use them wisely that I've talked about. We can learn from the past to not repeat our mistakes. We can manage our time, spending it wisely. We can discern what particular moments are for. And ultimately, we can place ourselves in God's hands, knowing that his timeline is a lot bigger than ours. And as you do that, may you find joy. In Jesus' name, amen.